Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to Acts chapter 3. We're going to pick up right there in verse 1 where we left off. And I've titled our Bible study, Interruptions or Divine Appointments. And that's the question to ask in life. Is this really an interruption? Or can I view it as a divine appointment from God? That He is leading my life. Now, when we're studying through with the early church, we're often reminded of the commitment they made to follow Jesus. But I don't want you to think that the commitment that the early church made in following Jesus is any different than the commitment that you have made, that you now are a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's an all-or-nothing decision with Jesus. He said it best. He said we're either for him or against him. There's really no middle ground. It's either all your life or none of your life. And we've learned that there's a high cost in following Christ. The early church understood this. The apostles knew it. The leadership knew it. And even in the first century, the watching, unbelieving world knew it. But this call to wholehearted commitment seems to have been lost in many in the church today. And I wonder if the Lord's already speaking to you, bringing you back to a call of wholehearted commitment. There are a lot of people around today that we might describe as partial Christians or maybe sort of Christians. We, we use a phrase to describe that. that we, we call that cultural Christianity. Or in another generation, they would just refer to that as being religious. Not really having a relationship with God. Not really listening. Not really following. But going through the outward motions. Well, I go to church. I was born a Christian. I was born in a Christian family. And we have this cultural emphasis, although our culture is quickly changing. But many today, you you see things in their life. They, They claim to be a Christian. They say they're walking with the Lord. But you see things in their life that make you believe that maybe not so much. There are inconsistencies and outright hypocrisy. There's contradictions. I think in all of our lives, there are those difficulties and stumblings but for some more than others. You see, one of the problems that we face as believers in our society is that there are many behaviors in our world that are popular among unbelievers. There's just a lot of stuff going on in our world that's super popular, that people are into, and unfortunately, believers are still into them. And it sends mixed messages to those that are close to you. Let me give you an example of things that I'm talking about. Things like gambling, getting drunk, partying, using illegal drugs, lying, stealing, gossip, full-blown pornography, partial pornography, lust. You can go on, list over and over again the things that have infiltrated believers' lives. Not like they got caught you by surprise. You're just like, you know what? I don't think I need to live a life that's of holiness and honoring God. And it has done great damage to the church. Those that study such things will tell us that the statistics of these behaviors are just as high or even higher 
among those who profess to follow Christ. And like James said, this ought not to be. It is damaging the witness of the church. And it's diluting the effectiveness of the church. And don't think of it just the church. Think of it as you. You're the church. These behaviors are ruining you. Ruining your marriage. Ruining your kids. Ruining your testimony. Ruining the light that's to shine through you. Hardening your heart toward the things of God. They are... And you're like, oh, come on, man, another pastor, another pastor into things, just kind of so harsh, so judgmental. No, 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 that's not it. I know there's resistance now, but that's not it. It's not another pastor. It is the word of God. It is what God's word says as clear as it possibly can be. And still some of you are like, well, then prove it to me. I'm glad you asked. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here we have a few years later from the book of Acts, the church in Corinth, and listen to what the Holy Spirit says through our beloved brother Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Now therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be defrauded? No, you yourselves do wrong, and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he makes this contrast. He says, but such were some of you. This is what you used to do. You're delivered from this. You're new now. To the Corinthians, to us here today, those listening in on the radio or live online, you, you used to be like this. There's a distinction between those that follow Christ and those that don't. There's a distinction for those that are committed to Christ and those that aren't. There's a distinction between those that are born again and those that aren't. A clear distinction. It's not a pontificating pastor. It's God's word. Notice what he says. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. These things are not okay. They're not to be named among us. They're harming you and hurting you. And you know, there's always that question, well, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, why don't we see what was happening in the book of Acts? Why, what, what is it? What about, what, why aren't we seeing what happened in the book of Acts? And there may be a lot of answers to that question, but I'll tell you what, one of the answers is there's too much sin in the house. And when there's sin and compromise, you don't experience the power of God very much. I mean, God loves you. He speaks loving kindness over you. But that loving kindness from God is a call to repentance and a call to return, and a call to reevaluate. You want to see the power of the book of Acts? Submit yourself to the Lord. Repent. Do you know the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says to believers, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are those times in our lives where we need to confess our sins, even as believers, coming back to simplicity. You don't want to be a sort of, kind of Christian. You want to be a born-again, unashamed, 
follower of Christ in a dark, difficult world. And I suggest to you today, I know it's a strong phrase, but I'll suggest to you this to you today, that much of what is considered Christianity today in America and even around the world wouldn't qualify as true conversion in the early church. It's just not what God's desire is for us. Do you know God wants so much more for you than often you even want for yourself? He wants to use you so greater. He wants to deliver you. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of relationship many times far more than you want for yourself. And what's the hindrance and hold back but pride and arrogance and hard-heartedness are like the children of Israel. God was like, you're stubborn and stiff-necked. And so some of you by now are going, okay, Ed. So we're starting Acts chapter 3 like this, huh? Well, yeah, we are. So I want you to understand as we open up Acts chapter 3 and as we continue to look back on chapters 1 and 2 and we look forward, if God will allow, to the end of the book of Acts, I want you to know that the early believers, they were not some foolish, radical, out-of-touch group. They, they weren't a group of people like the world might want to say, oh, you know, you're too far, you're too radical. You're, no, they were normal. What you're reading in the book of Acts is normal. They had a singular purpose. They loved Jesus and lived for him. Singular. They weren't into the distractions. No, they were normal humans like you and me. So, so they're going to have faults and failures like all of us, of course. They're going to have distractions. Why would he even write to the Corinthians if the Corinthians didn't have issues? So it's not like we're issueless. But I mean, when you're looking at and reading through the book of Acts, just because we're separated by 2,000 years, they have the same Holy Spirit. And I mean, if you think about this for a second, they didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have the New Testament. What they had was a love for Jesus and a desire to obey him. And so my constant plea, and I beg you week after week, if you're only here for one week, then I want to beg you the one week you're here. If you would just read your Bible and do it, you would see spiritual growth. If you would just read the Bible and do it. If you would just take it and act upon what you read. You don't, you, don't need, you don't need a pastor to tell you what to do. You don't need a prophet, some new, oh, I'm a prophet. You don't need to follow a prophetess. You just need to follow Jesus. He will lead you and guide you. You know, when you were born again, it was just you and Jesus. And then things get complicated, don't they? It was simple. I'll go anywhere, do anything for you, Lord, because you bought me with your own precious blood, forgave me, rescued me, took, him out, took me out of the miry clay, put my feet on a solid rock. And then over time, that doesn't seem to be so exciting, so significant. But it is significant to think back on the goodness of God. And the timing of this message is so beautiful because I was reminded, I had forgotten but I was reminded today that today is my spiritual birthday. I'm 32 years old now in the Lord. Isn't that great? At that age, I can't go to senior saints at that age, 32 in the Lord. And that's really when time begins, isn't it? When you follow Jesus. And I can look back now and say, okay, Lord, you've been so good to me. Now I have served you so many more years than I served this world in my own flesh. Because he's been faithful, even when I've been faithless. So we open up to Acts chapter 3, and it's like, okay, these are people just like me. God wants to use me in the same way. He wants us to be a light in a dark world. Look, look, that's what the world needs. The world needs, like, like if the world's really angry, the world doesn't need more anger, especially from believers. And if the world's super frustrated, 
then the world doesn't need more frustration from the church. If we are who we say we are, we're going to walk with confidence, courage, and hope in a hopeless world. We're going to share with people that there is hope in their situation. We're going to share with them that we, like if we really believe this, we're just pilgrims passing through, then we'll be able to look someone in the eye and go, you know, this this isn't all there is. The best is yet to come. Jesus is going to fulfill his word in his return, and he wants you to know him personally. There's more than the difficulties in your life right now. There's more than what you're facing right now. There's more than the circumstances that have weighed heavy. You have a Savior who conquered sin and death. That's the message the world needs to hear. It needs to hear it regularly. And if we're not the church, then who will share that message? And that just seems to be what God has been doing among us in the book of Acts. As much as possible, as a leader, as a fellow believer, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to keep asking and begging you, don't fake it. Just be a real believer. Commit yourself to him. Step out in faith. And you'll see great and wonderful things that God has done. Notice now in verse 1, chapter 3. With all that in mind, coming out of Acts 2, the simplicity of worshiping together, singing together, breaking bread together. We learn all that. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. The early church was predominantly Jewish at this time, and they're continuing through their their religious activity, and I don't mean that in the negative sense, but they're going to the place where the most people were so they can also express their worship in a new way. No longer were they interested in the evening sacrifices or all, which is about this time, uh, the, the time of the ninth hour. The Jews, by the way, prayed three times a day. They would pray at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. That was their customary times. The 3 p.m., which is this time, was the time of the evening sacrifice. So they were continuing to to go up into the temple area, be around people, but no longer are they believing in the old system, but now they have a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ that has spilled over to many, just like on the day of Pentecost. So they're going up into the area. This was their normal, regular routine. And I love here, as you see just two words here, Peter and John. I don't want you to miss that. Because Peter and John, as what we learn of in the scriptures, couldn't be more different people. Peter, he's the kind of guy that was always active in action. He he would say things before he thought about it. He would do things before he thought about it. Sometimes it got him in trouble. Sometimes it got him into places that were amazing I mean, when Jesus says, come to me on the water, what does Peter do? Man, throws his legs over the boat, and I'm going to go out. And he's the only one that was ever recorded, apart from Jesus, that walked on water. He always gets remembered for his failures, but I don't want you to remember him for his failures. Just like we don't remember you for your failures. We remember you for what good, great things God has done in your life. And so here he is. He's a man of action. He's a man that, man, let's go, go, go. Let's do, and let's, let's act. But John... John was more of a contemplative. He, he was more of, you know, let's just wait. Like, like, you know, you think about with when it comes to ears, you know, comparing ears. You have Peter pulling out his sword and cutting an ear off. 
But John's ear was on the breast of Jesus because he was the one that Jesus loved, remember, and he would spend his time, he would be, in the, he would be exiled to the island of Patmos, and what does he do? He starts writing. He would be like the poet, writing the book of Revelation, writing 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the gospel of John. Beautiful what the Lord has done. Why is this important? Because you are who you are by the grace of God. I know there's so much pressure in our culture today to want to be like somebody else, but God doesn't want you to be like somebody else. He wants you to be you, being conformed into the image of Christ. He is happy with you. Oh yeah, you have faults and failures, we all do, but God is happy with you. He's encouraged by you. He's given you certain personality traits and giftings so that you might be used together and I, I don't want you to be surprised that you might be teamed up in ministry with someone that is so completely different from you. Because, you know, even as we have opposites attract, well, God likes to use opposites as well to be able to use you for great things. So these guys are going up together. They're partners. And as they're coming up, they come up together at the hour of prayer. And there was this certain man. Do you like that? A certain man. Why does it say certain man? Because there's one guy that's going to get attention here among many others. And this man is lame. We find out later he was lame from birth. 40 years he's been lame, unable to walk. This 40-year-old lame man would be a common sight in Jerusalem because there were a lot of lame people begging. This was their job. And they would be laid in different places. This man was probably well-known among the disciples because he had this prime spot at the gate beautiful that he was laid there daily. And as Peter and John are coming in, going to a prayer meeting, going to pray, going to see God, what happens? The guy asks him for money, which he asks everybody. Can you help? Can you help? Can you help? Now, there were three ways that a Jew liked to show his holiness. He did it through prayer, fasting, and giving of money. And what I mean by that is show his outward holiness so that everybody could know how spiritual they were. A Jew would properly pray out loud, fast out loud, giving money. Jesus corrected all that in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but that's what they did. So the poor hung out where the people wanted to show that they were holy. And so there were three areas that were common for beggars to choose to beg. Number one, around the houses of rich people, so they would hang out there. Secondly, they would like to hang out along the main highways, and then finally, they like to be in the different gates and openings heading up into the temple area. And he was such a common sight that it would have been very easy and natural to completely, totally miss him and overlook him. Notice in verse 4. Fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now this is such a stunning, amazing thing that Peter's doing here. It's going to get better as God operates through Peter, but right here is amazing. He could have continued on on his way to the prayer meeting, he, he could have walked by him like many times. You know, there are some people that suggest, and I agree, even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say, many suggest that Jesus would have walked by him through his ministry. 
This would be a common sight as the disciples and Jesus would go up into the temple and he would walk through. If that's true, that means this. If Jesus continued to walk by him, Jesus sovereignly chose not to heal him. Which is important because there are those today that would suggest that it is the believer's right to be healed. And the reason why you're not healed is you lack faith, you don't give enough, but you're the problem. That's falsehood. God is sovereign in who he chooses to heal temporarily, right? Because a physical healing on earth is a temporary healing. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So all of us will face death. That's the reality of it. All of us will face death because of sin. And yet along the way, God does heal. And we believe it, and we pray for it, we anoint with oil, and we want it. But not always. And so if someone ever comes to you and goes, well, you know, this is your divine right. You just name it, claim it. You don't have enough faith. You should give more. It's all your fault. I want you to return that with a simple question. It says, you know, I don't really believe what you're saying here. So let me ask you a question. Okay, ask. Did Jesus, ask him this question, did Jesus heal everyone he came in contact with? So I'm going to quiz you, pop quiz, yes or no? No. And then they'll say, well, prove it to me. Okay, you take him to the Gospel of John, the time where Jesus comes in, remember, to the pools of Bethesda. Remember, he comes in, and he comes there, and the Bible says, describes that area as being filled with sick people around the pool, what, waiting for the water movement there, and then they believe the water movement there, there was some special thing in the water, and there was healing that took place there. Jesus comes in, and he heals how many people? One, and he leaves everyone else as he walks away sovereignly. You see, because the promise from the Bible is eternal healing. It's by his stripes we are healed from the sickness of sin. You are delivered from sin to eternally live with God. And by his stripes, by the sovereign power of God and the blood that was shed for you, you can receive temporary healing. I think of, man, I think of somebody like Lazarus, I mean, talk about a healing. He was brought back from the dead to only die again. Because real, true healing is promised to every real, true believer for all of eternity. Your last breath on earth will be your first breath in the presence of Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Isn't that great? God is so good to give us hope and strength. So here he is, though. God has a temporary healing for this guy. There is going to be a healing that takes place in his life, and Peter stops everything that he's doing, and he locks eyes and says, look at me, look at me. Have you ever noticed that opportunities often come through what we interpret as interruptions? Especially for those of you that like your day planned out and you're real, you know, a real calendar person and you got your week planned out, your month planned out. Some of you have your whole life planned out the way it's going to go. And so every little disruption is interpreted as an, inter- every little disruption is like an interruption. And then you get frustrated. Then you get agitated. And then you're so caught up in the flesh that you miss what God wants to do right in front of you. That this is appointment from God. Yes, it's changed the time. Yes, it's changed the direction. You know, one of the things that I noticed here is that, you know, he had, Peter and John were doing something spiritual. 
something good, something wonderful. They're going to pray with other believers up at the temple. But what I've found over the years in my experience serving Christians and serving believers is that believers, some believers can get really good at covering bad excuses with spiritual language. That could have happened here. And you know, you could have interviewed Peter and John as they went up to prayer and go, hey man, what about the dude that was there uh, that needed help? Oh, well, you know, we're heading to a prayer meeting. We're heading to a prayer meeting. We don't really, we'll get to him later. And then you come out and he's gone. You know, what happened? Well, you know, because you got spiritual language. Hey, I'm going to go to a prayer meeting. Or, you know, somebody asks you to do something that's super simple, but you don't really want to do it. And some Christians, they'll respond this way. They won't say no. You know what they'll say? Let me pray about that. What do you mean pray about? Take the trash out. Let me pray about that. I mean, how, how many of your parents are going to, hey, you know, son, clean your room. Okay, mom, let me pray about that. Nah, bro, clean your room now. And, and you know, believers, we, we create this facade trying to hide our flesh. But your flesh isn't hidden from the Lord. And neither is it hidden from you. And that's not the kind of life you want to live anyway. You don't want to live this low-level life where you keep, try to keep control and you walk by the lame people, you walk by the homeless, you walk by the hurting, you walk by people when God is ready to use you in the moment. Why aren't we seeing things in the book of Acts? Maybe you're interpreting these instances as interruptions instead of embracing them as an appointment by God. Let me give you a simple example. I mean, this is a dramatic example. Let me give you a simple one that you can begin to work with immediately. You know those times when you're just going through life, you're going through, you know, you're at work, you're watching the news, you're listening to the radio, whatever you're doing, and, and this name pops into your head, or a face of somebody you know, maybe someone in the past, or someone you met, or you just get this impression about someone. And you'd quickly dismiss it. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I suggest to you, it's a huge deal, and you should act on it every time it happens. Somebody, you have an impression of someone, reach out to them. Show up there. Write them a note. And, and you know, we can easily, oh, I don't know how to get a hold of them. Look, if you want to do something, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. Start asking. Start looking. Start knocking. Start praying. But don't just dismiss these simple impressions. You know, you might be, well, you know, this name came up, but oh, you know, I was watching the news and the person on the newscast named this person. And so I heard that name. So now I'm thinking that name. Yes. How about this? Just say this. God used the news to remind me of someone and I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to minister to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing as you begin to embrace the moments to acknowledge that God controls our lives that he's leading us in guide. We belong to him. And since God controls your life, let him arrange it. Stay open and flexible. As we've been taught by Pastor Chuck Smith, I love this. He would teach us that blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. And just go with the flow and be open to what God wants to do. Don't be so rigid and hard-hearted. You know, every time we say no to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And every time we say no to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, our hearts get hardened. Our ears get filled with wax. And we no longer hear, no longer sense the sweetness of the Holy Spirit wanting to do something right here, right now, in your midst. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I love that because it's the steps of a good man are ordered, not suggested. <laughs> the Lord leading you in your life is not a suggestion. It's an order. 
And we would do well to follow the orders of God. It's his steps, his direction, just a little step at a time. He's not asking you to, to figure it all out. He's asking you to obey him. He's not asking you to try to control the whole thing and plan ahead. He's just asking you to obey him. And as you live out your life daily for him, interruptions may be part of that, but what you call an interruption could very well be the divine appointment of God. And what an incredible way to live our lives. We just wake up and go, God, what's next? What do you have for me? Oh, I know I need to go to work, but I've got, a, I've got some time on, in the car. I've got some time. I, I know I've got to accomplish this. This is life. But while I'm on the way, like Abraham's servant, when he gives his testimony, Abraham's servant says in Genesis, and we'll learn this in our midweek study soon enough, where he says, while I was on the way, the Lord led me. Step by step, day by day. Peter saw this interruption as a divine appointment. And in that moment, as God is leading Peter and Peter's cooperating, I think a couple things happen. Number one, I believe that Peter receives a word of knowledge, the manifestation of a word of knowledge. It might have sounded something like this. Peter, stop. I want to do something in that guy's life today. And maybe even more direct. Peter, stop. Don't go to prayer. Stop right here. I'm going to heal that guy through you. But what we see here is fix your eyes. We don't have any money. I know you've been here week after week. You, you want money. You need money. But we don't have any money. And that's an interesting thing too, isn't it? Because we just learned that in the early church, all the believers were selling their goods and bringing it at the apostles' feet. So, so that was given to the apostles, not for the apostles, but for the church. They weren't carrying it around with them. And, and it's not what he needed. What he truly needed was to come into a real relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. So he fixed their eyes on, look at us. He said, we don't have money. Silver or gold we don't have, but what we do have, we're going to give you. And notice it was in the name, or the, whenever you see that, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, that is the full character, nature, and authority of God. So in the name and the authority of Jesus, because there's no, under, no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, he says, get up and walk. So he has the word of knowledge, and then, then he obeys it, and then in verse 7, between verse seven, 6 and 7, because we're, we're talking instantaneously here, like, this isn't an announcement. God's not going to say, okay, you're praying with me this morning, so let me tell you, this is how it's going to happen. At 11 a.m., and then from 11 a.m. to 11.30, I'm going to prepare you. And, no, it's happening that fast. That's why we got to learn how to obey that fast. Because as he obeyed the first one, look at me. We don't have anything to give you. I want you to get, you're going you're gonna to get up. You're going to get more than you ever asked. At the next, between verses 6 and 7, I think what happened next was God gave him a measure of faith. Because look what he does. I wonder if you and I would ever do this. Look what he does. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew, you might want to mark that, they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And because of that knowledge, now they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wouldn't it require a lot of faith to go and grab him and pick him up? I mean, that's a lot of faith. I believe God gave a measure of faith, uh, gave a special unction of faith of the Holy Spirit so that Peter pulled him up. And you know what, church? I just get this, this sense for us as a church that we need to be stepping out more in faith. 
even before we have faith, stepping out on what we're reading in the scriptures, what we're learning in the scriptures. And what I mean here by that is, I don't want you to make things up and then test God with that. So, well, you know, we just learn in Acts chapter 3 that I can go up to lame people and pull them up, just like Peter did. No, 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 don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't go around doing that. You want to walk into people's lives with mercy and compassion. At the same time, though, God is calling this church to another level of faith. He is calling you personally to a level of faith that leads to more obedience and the dynamic presence of Spirit of God in and through your life. That's what's going to change the world. Your political opinions are not going to change this world. Only Jesus Christ is going to change this world. Things, man, kings and kingdoms, they come and go. They're living under the oppression of the Roman government, and they are making a difference in powerful ways. Your theology or what you learned on a YouTube video, that's not going to change the world. It's only the power of Jesus going to change the world. And it's not what I have to give you. Calvary Chapel is not going to change the world. Jesus Christ is going to change the world. And the only way Pastor Ed is going to change the world is if I, like you, as a fellow believer, submit myself to the God that loves me and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me. That I will choose not to walk in the fear of man, but to live my life in the fear of God. To trust him with my life. To, to let the, as a you know, common saying, just let the chips fall where they may. And aggressively pursue my obedient life in Christ. So that perhaps I might inspire some of you to do the same thing in the life that God has given you. And then maybe like Peter and John, we may be so different, but when God connects us as partners, real life change takes place in other people's lives. And it carries on, and it carries on, and it carries on. Church, have you been settling for something less and calling it Christianity? Have you co-opted your relationship with the Lord with something else? Are you always flustered and frustrated instead of being open to what God wants to do in that very frustrating situation, very scary, very anxious situation. It's easy to miss the opportunities to share with someone about Jesus because we're so caught up in ourselves and our own issues. Peter just grabs the guy with the faith of the Lord. He's just going for it. He's responding. We don't see this happening again. So this isn't a normative thing. But what is normative about this is that Peter acts on the promptings that God had given him. That's what he wants for your life, that you would act on the promptings that God gives you, that I would expect in all of our services this weekend and you guys online listening on the radio right now, I would expect that there would be hundreds if not thousands of people being reached out to just because now you're going to be more sensitive to names, faces that just keep popping in your head all the time. You're like, why is this always happening? Well, now I'm telling you because God wants you to connect with them or reconnect with them, or reach out to them, or if in the very bare minimum, pray for them. Pray that the Lord would use you, minister to you, and minister through you. So here they are. He, he's healed. You know, it says immediately in verse 7, God loves to work fast. I know we often talk about waiting on the Lord, and that's great, but there are other times where God just works right away. I like that much better, I have to say. And so here he is, immediately his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. In the original Greek language, this speaks of this instantaneous progress of how God healed him and made him strong enough that while his mind was thinking about standing, God gave him the strength to stand. It's just amazing what God can do in an instant. And he leaped up, it says in verse 8, stood 
and walked and went into the temple with them. He was just carried to the gate. And now he's going into the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Oh, that the church would walk, leap, and praise God. That you would be known for your walking, your walk with the Lord, your leaping, stepping out in faith, and your praising of God. That we would just be known as Jesus lovers in the most simple form of that. We wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We wouldn't be ashamed living in such a way that would bring dishonor. But we would live in holiness that's given to us by Christ. The people saw this, right? We'd be known by that. The people saw this, and then they knew. They knew this guy. They walked by him every, they walked by him. They knew this guy, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So God using this miraculous work was to get people's attention. If you read ahead in chapter three, you know that God once again is using the miraculous to get people's attention for the proclamation of the gospel. The emphasis in the Bible is teaching and preaching the word of God. Most of Jesus' ministry was preaching and teaching. And the emphasis of his ministry was preaching and teaching what? Repentance. Repentance. Peter was willing to take steps of faith. Are you? You know, I'd rather try something and fail than not to do anything and live a stagnant, sluggish life my whole Christian experience. And I've been processing this for some time. I haven't come to a conclusion yet, but I've been processing this and talking out loud with a few people just thinking, you know, maybe we need a different definition of failure. Because failure God uses in our lives to get our attention, to draw us into a place, and even what we might perceive as failure, according to the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things are God's working together for the good. So even if it was a failure, even if we did fall on our face, I would rather fail forward than in retreat. And just give it a chance. But Ed, what if I I act on that impression and I send that text or I send that scripture and the person comes back and goes, who do you think you are? What's your problem? I can't, what if I do, what if they do that? I'd rather receive that than to have no connection with the loss whatsoever. What if they do that? You know, I don't know. What if they say, yeah, I'd love to talk. Maybe you send that text. You know, just listen to this. I was in church the other day. Pastor said, if name popped up. And you explain the whole thing to them. And they go, but what if I do that? And they call me and want to talk to me. What am I going to say? Hey, in the life of Jesus, they had the same concern. And Jesus told them, don't worry about it. Basically what he said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because I'll give you the words right when you need them. And the problem with worrying about what might happen is we talk about ourselves out of anything happening. So what might happen? I don't know what will happen, but the Lord will be with you. It'll be exciting. It'll be amazing. Just to step out and take a venture of faith and the Lord will use it and people will be wondering and amazed at the work of God in your life, in their life, and in others' lives. So this beggar is healed. Peter's relieved and probably blown away himself, spiritually excited, leaping, praising. By the way, you Bible students, you'll recognize this leaping, jumping, and praising going up to the temple is actually, actually a real key insight of what's to come in the millennial period. You can jot it down. You can see it for yourself. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. 
So God is not only doing something in the present, but he's also doing something in the future. He says, not only am I doing it now, but it's going to get better in the future. Isaiah 35, 6, uh, 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for water shall birth forth in the, burst forth in the wilderness and in the streams of the desert. Now back to Jesus for a moment before we close. Jesus walked by this guy many times, walked by this guy many times. He didn't heal everyone. It's, it's a biblical truth, uh, indisputable. But could it be that Jesus walking by this lame man was a divine setup knowing that Peter and John would in his sovereignty? Like if we really believe that God controls all things, and we do, so what the Bible teaches and I believe what the Bible teaches us. If we believe what, that God is truly in control, then even your present difficulty is going to be used for the future. Even your present difficulty, even your present challenge, even your, you, you might be here today like we read in the psalm, you go, well, God has overlooked me. No, he hasn't overlooked you. It's a divine setup. But I haven't heard of my, my tears, my tears, I, I, I feast on my own tears. I, I can't get a good night's sleep. I'm crying to the point where I even have no more tears. Well, not one tear is wasted. It's all taken by God in his bottles and it's held for him in these little tear bottles. God uses that imagery. He's like, no, your tears are not wasted. Even though it is a hard, hard season right now. See, if this world is all that we had, then it would be a very difficult situation because of what's next. If that's all we have, then this is just going to be my lot in life. But see, this is not all we have. God has invaded our lives with his divine appointment, sending Jesus Christ to interrupt your life so that you might stop what you're doing, repent, and turn to him. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's your greatest need because this episode with Peter and John teaches us about faith, teaches us about willingness, obedience, the impressions of the Holy Spirit. We learn a lot of things here, but what we learn the most is that Jesus Christ is active among those that know him and those that don't. He is alive, still continuing his ministry on the earth through his church until he returns. And I want us to be a part of it. I've already fully convinced. So each week I'm going to come and ask you to be fully convinced. I am fully convinced of how God wants to use my life. Even if I go through times of anxiety and worry and I got all kinds of stuff that I have to deal with in the Lord. Repent from, trust Him, learn from Him. But along the way He's developing us, growing us, and maturing us. And just like parents, you know, you're patient with your kiddos growing up. You know, your father's patient with you too. You can trust Him as you follow Him. Amen? We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.